Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. to the tennis podcast brought to you from the O2 Arena which we are informed by the ticker tape illuminated banner running around the centre of the arena is currently a construction area because the final is done and dusted Andy Murray is the champion of the ATP World Tour Finals he is the year end world number one Djokovic is well where is he we will talk about that we'll talk about Murray I mean David Law, who is alongside me, and I have just finished commentating. We both did that second set. We both did the winning moment. It was a very odd thing that we were both in separate commentary boxes commentating on the same thing. David, no doubt, with a lot more aplomb than me, but I, I did my best to learn from the master. I mean, it, it was just quite an experience to talk about. I, I can't imagine what this moment is like for Andy Murray. It's just quite something what he's achieving before our very eyes as we describe it, isn't it? It's quite something. It really is. So it's quite something for me to hear that that you just said, Catherine. And if you could see what I look like right now, you would see some bright red cheeks as I blush profusely here on the Tennis Podcast. That was that was a pretty surprising couple of hours of tennis for me. I I was very very confident. For the, on the part of Djokovic that he would win that final today having seen the way he played against Kane Ishikori, admittedly a player not at the level of Andy Murray having seen Murray I don't know how he beat Milos Raonic after the longest match in the tournament's history just two or three days after another one of the longest match in the tournament's history against Kane Ishikori I, I just thought he'd have nothing left at all what he did I think was very similar to what he did against Stan Wawrinka a couple of nights ago. He just dug in and and there was a thou shalt not pass look to him. But I was very, very surprised at the way Novak Djokovic, frankly, didn't turn up today. He didn't. Well, I should say we're. I mean, we're pretty much in the immediate aftermath. Yes, the uh, <laughs> the court is being deconstructed around our ears. I'm having deja vu. We recorded this very podcast in 
identical circumstances last year, didn't we? We'll try and make it sound different. Um, yeah, the, the arena is being deconstructed around our ears. Andy Murray lifted that trophy probably about 25 minutes ago, something like that. We've got quotes coming through. I've been monitoring Twitter. Quotes are coming through from their respective press conferences, and they're quite interesting, particularly on the Novak Djokovic side. Obviously, we'll talk more about Andy Murray because that's what he deserves, but we must talk about Novak Djokovic. He said repeatedly, it seems, in the press conference, he said, I had no chance to win that match. It was clear from the very beginning that I had no chance to win that match. Now, I find that surprising because actually the very beginning is when it was most even. He won two his two opening service games without dropping a set. The, the errors didn't start coming till midway through that first set and yes once they did start coming boy did they come and and that was a big issue and he of course referenced that he said anything I would try today I would miss and and yes it did end up that way but it didn't seem that way from the very start to me if he went into that match thinking I've got no way of winning this and if he was thinking after two games I've got no hope of winning this that really is alarming an alarming thought of what's going on with Djokovic mentally for me it was like looking at your trusty computer that has never let you down. It always just does exactly what you wanted to do. And then one day it just starts getting little bugs and things aren't working the way you want them to. And no matter what you try, it doesn't seem to fix it. And Djokovic looked like that out there today. He, he, he almost seemed to me to go into a bit of a depression halfway through that match that... I can't do anything. And it's really... There was a quietness to him. He wasn't getting angry. He wasn't showing defiance. And I, we were actually hoping to see some defiance for his sake, to see that that one or two points that he might win and then the roar. And we didn't see that at all. Now, maybe that's because of the work he's been doing with with his life coach um, Pepe Imaz in trying to keep calm maybe that's something that that they believe is the right way to go about things I just have no idea I mean maybe maybe he was just in a downer and he hadn't got any of that fury inside his heart at that particular moment but he couldn't turn things around until he went 4-1 down in that second set and he started I, I tell you what it reminded me of the semi-final against Roger Federer at the US Open a few years ago when he was match point down and he was getting thoroughly outplayed by Roger Federer and in his the depths of despair he smashed a forehand winner on return at match point down loosened up and suddenly started to play I thought at that stage midway through the second set the way Djokovic was hitting the ball that the match was still very much in the balance even though it was 6-3 4-1 in favour of Andy Murray there was suddenly a looseness about the way Djokovic was carrying himself and I thought if he can just find his rhythm here Murray's perhaps going to start feeling the fatigue of all of those matches in a row that he's won and uh, I was surprised in a way that Djokovic didn't come all the way back to level I mean it was his whole demeanour throughout the match his whole performance I found, found pretty bemusing yeah, Bermuda, I know you've used the word listless, and I think that was a really good word. He did look listless. There were moments when he did look depressed. I would agree with that, certainly just at a complete loss. And, and you're right, you know, in that, after having already been broken back once, in that moment when Murray was serving for the match a second time and, and 
or no, serving for the match the first time, sorry. And he was 30, love, and then went to 30 all. And the signs of stress there and the signs of fatigue, he suddenly was puffing out his cheeks. He suddenly looked exhausted. He was showing all the signs of being wounded that a predator, a vicious predator, would pounce upon. And Djokovic just didn't have it in him today to be that predator, didn't have anything close, frankly, and it's really unusual to see that. Usually, you know, he's a win-at-all-costs, you know, predator, you know, tennis predator. And he was so far from that today. It's really difficult to reconcile this Novak Djokovic with, with the guy that won everything at the beginning of the year. I don't think I can remember a more contrasting season in terms of two halves of a season other than, you know, when catastrophic injury has intervened. It really has been bizarre. And by the way, David, we are informed now by the ticker tape that the O2 Arena is a hard hat only zone. But you don't appear to pe- have a hard hat I can on. see lots of people not wearing hard no, hats. No, including so you and including me. I'm guessing this is, this is advice that is not usually heeded. But anyway, some, something to be aware of. Um, and actually just in front of us while the stadium was being deconstructed just moments before we started recording Boris Becker wandered out from the locker room area into the arena stood just by the court which is scattered with confetti and has wires all over it and people taking away boardings and hoardings and scoreboards and everything and he took what looked to me like a very short video a one or two second sort of panning shot maybe he does that a second every day thing I don't know and then strode off the court looking I mean I could be attaching significance to it that isn't there but it certainly looked poignant to me what he was doing and and everything that was going through my mind was will we see him here next year in the same capacity will we see him at the Australian Open Djokovic has of course been asked about his coaching situation in press and he said I don't want to talk about it he was asked have you got any announcements to make and he said no not now he didn't say no he said now's not the right time so yeah I mean as I say look I could be attaching significance that isn't there, but it, it looked poignant to me as it stands at the moment. I would be surprised if he turned up in, I think, Doha will be his first competitive event. Same for Andy Murray. They're both planning to play Abu Dhabi in Doha, I think. I'd be surprised if he showed up in in Doha with the same team along with him. How it will change and what it will look like in a couple of months' time, I don't know, but something's got to change for him. Yeah, I, I mean, actually, strictly speaking, I, I don't, from the outside, I don't necessarily think something has to change. I mean, the guy's gone from overwhelming best player in the world six months ago to kind of a shadow of himself, even though I have to say, 24 hours ago, I, I really thought he was back. I, I mentioned that on my Twitter feed. I think the guy is back to his best. Now, I was wrong. The, the, the fact of the matter is he... he, he didn't play against a guy who caused him any trouble really last night. He played brilliantly, which is part of the reason for that. But he was he was all over the place. But today. the interesting thing about that is he should have come away from that match with Nishikori thinking the same thing and you I think were he did. thinking. Yeah, I'm back. I interviewed but, him last from night. From the sounds Catherine. of the quotes coming out of the press conference tonight, he's saying I basically never thought I had a chance of winning but today think, against Andy. I think he thought that during the match. I think that that probably came he, over him. I think maybe he's slightly. He said from the very moment it started maybe, I knew yeah. I had no chance which maybe. strikes me as 
Very strange. And in, in terms of confidence, how can a guy that played so well last night... I know Nishikori was physically not there and not able to muster much of a challenge, but he still needed beating. And he sounded so up for it, though, last night. In the interview I did with him for BBC, he was so fresh-faced. He looked like himself. And, and it was a shock to me to see him revert to the type of the latter stages of the second half of 2016. Just on the, on the subject of the coaching, although I can see no reason on paper why they wouldn't be together in terms of the success they've had, I agree with you. I don't think we're going to see exactly the same coaching setup for, for, for Novak Djokovic next year. I, I think he would have come out and made very clear his plans otherwise and, and got behind that structure if he was planning to carry it on. Maybe he, maybe it's coming to an end and he needs to renegotiate it. Who, who knows exactly, but I agree with you. It's going to be very, very interesting. He has incidentally, I think, confirmed in that press conference that he will play Abu Dhabi and Doha, as has Andy Murray. He said, just got a few quotes, I think he's impressed as we record, just a few quotes came through uh, just as we started recording. He said, I did wake up this morning and I felt blooming knackered and I am exhausted. Of course he is, but just to hear him confirm, I woke up this morning on the day of one of the biggest matches of my life and I felt exhausted. You know, that must feel awful. You want to wake up feeling full of the joys of springs and raring to go, and, and he didn't Huge feel that way. Huge credit to him that he played like that, given how he was well, feeling, quite. because you didn't see that out on the court. He... I tell you what frustrates me sometimes watching Murray is I've loved over the last year the way he's directed his outbursts positively and consistently very often Catherine over the most part <laughs> of the year no, no, look, listen to me listen over the most part of the year you've heard him say something that I don't think I've heard until the last 18 months which is let's go to himself it's always been come on let's go and it's and the, there have been at least two of the three group matches and again yesterday when he hasn't been like that at all he's been inward looking he's been self-critical he's been sarcastic about himself he's been smiling at his coaching team as if to say I'm rubbish aren't I I mean I you know everything you told me isn't working I mean this isn't going to work out is it look at my legs they won't move and today well you didn't you just sort of he was just businesslike today he just got on with it personally I love to see that self-inspiration um, fr- from his mouth. I think it, 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 I think it is self-perpetuating. But, you know, to, to hold it together and not let the demons overtake him today, I think was really impressive. Yeah, because I'm guessing he walked onto court thinking, I can't afford any of that nonsense against this guy. This guy usually beats me. This guy is usually impenetrable. I can't afford to give him anything. I mean, in the end, he probably could have afforded a bit more nonsense. But I was pleased not to see the nonsense that we saw. I mean, I have to say, as much of a fan of Andy Murray as I am, I found that Raonic match a tough watch. The, the sarcasm stuff. We shouldn't be talking about negatives in respect to Andy Murray because he doesn't deserve that. He's just achieved something utterly extraordinary. And we'll come on to that. But just first... I found that a really tough watch. It's the sarcasm, that sarcasm, which you just described brilliantly, what he seems to be emoting in those moments. It's it's tough to watch as an Andy Murray fan, as somebody that's sort of trying to support him. I'm a Milos Raonic fan as well, by the way. But anyway, um, it, it's, it's difficult. It's really difficult to watch somebody... It, I mean, it's Jekyll and Hyde, isn't it? I mean, that's not the Andy Murray that 
that we know. It seems so counterproductive. I mean, look, he, he won the match. We, so it's difficult to argue with. He very nearly didn't win the match. But that sarcasm is... It's almost a bit sort of crazed, isn't it? Yeah, I, you know, I don't think we will ever fully understand Andy Murray. I don't, I don't know whether he will ever fully understand himself because when you talk to him, it, it's quite a quick flick of the switch after the match when he starts looking at himself almost in the third person and, and, and evaluating his own state of mind. And he acknowledged that sarcasm in one of the press conferences I went to, which I was quite surprised that he did that, but he, he actually raised it. Uh, uh, and and he clearly doesn't approve of himself. Oh. But it, it is, you know, I mean, Goran used to joke about there being three Gorans. And I think Andy Murray is probably the closest that there is to a genuine split personality. I, I, entirely, I mean, I definitely think he, he's not OK with it. When, when, Amelie, when the split with Amelie Moresmo happened and she did that interview with L'Equipe that broke on the eve of, of the French Open and he was, of course, then faced with a barrage of questions asking him to comment on Moresmo's comments and they keep that the reason she didn't want to continue or one of the reasons was because she couldn't reconcile the Andy that she was confronted with on the court with the guy she knew off it and he seemed to wince and recoil in perhaps shame you know uh, certainly embarrassment at that because you know it was close to home he's he's I think he's a reflective enough character to do that kind of introspection and and to to acknowledge things in himself that he might like to change. But hey, why should he be changing anything? He's the year-end world number one. He's the Barclays ATP World Tour Finals champion. He is the greatest athlete Great Britain has ever produced for me, hands down. I, I mean, I, I, we won't get into that debate. It's too no, long. But, but I mean, he's... I, I think, I think that, that what's nice about an occasion like this that is certainly from a British perspective it is on BBC National Network television it was on Sky television it was on BBC Radio 5 Live everything else was shoved aside because this was the concentration point Talk Sport had it covered as well you know the whole nation was concentrated on Andy Murray today and I think that that is really important because he deserves that he deserves to be acknowledged as one of, if not the greatest athlete that these Isles have ever produced. And, and he lived up to that today and over the course of the last six months with every step. And, I mean, to me, as wonderful as Djokovic was in the first half of the year, winning two slams and everything else, look at the year as a whole, the fact that Murray reached two of those slams that Djokovic beat him in uh, at the start of the year... And he, aside from a little dip in the spring, he was consistency personified. He won Olympic gold, for goodness sake. Which he doesn't also, even count towards that year-end ranking. he was in a whisker of reaching the Davis Cup final again. I mean, he deserves to be acknowledged and recognised as the world number one for 2016. He looked completely overwhelmed, didn't he, in the, uh, in the moments. There was a celebration. He didn't do the complete disbelief. There was a very brief celebration... Uh, hat came off, racket went to the ground. Uh, he pointed to the sky as he usually does, which fittingly was also, of course, the number one sign. Then he immediately retreated to his chair and he just sat there and stared into space with his mouth open in a slightly gormless expression. It was just, oh my goodness, I can't. I don't think he's had much time to adjust to these achievements because, unlike Djokovic with the French Open, where it had been 
everything he had ever wanted and dreamed of and knew he could achieve and wouldn't be satisfied until he'd done it for the past however many years. That wasn't the case with Andy Murray in winning this title and becoming world number one this year. It's all quite recent for him that it's become this thing that he's been striving for. So for it all to have suddenly come to him, I mean, I, I, I imagine it's going to take a long time, a long, long time for this to really sink in. I hope he can at least enjoy it. But to fully appreciate what he's done is going to take a while. I, I think the nice thing is that he now does get a proper break. He can go in two away. weeks. Well, you yeah, know. that's what he said he's having. So but that's another him, another that's quote I've seen come through. It? it is a lot. But he, so he gave that quote. He said, "I am exhausted. I woke up this morning and I was completely exhausted. Everything ate. I." I need a rest, I need a break from tennis. And then he was asked, so how, he said, well, I've got uh, two weeks starting on Monday and then I'm going to Miami for what sounds like the most bone-crushingly horrendous training block with Ivan Lendl <laughs> imaginable. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just, that is what counts. For the world's best athletes, that's what counts as an incredible break before returning yep. to but I think the there incredible will be grind. Enough time for him to just reflect a little bit as well. I think he will probably lie back a few days there and think, wow, you know, especially given how long this has taken. You know, it's taken him seven years. We talked about it in the world number one show a couple of weeks ago to get to that point from having been number two in the world for the first time seven years ago, but to actually do it over the full year. Novak Djokovic has done it four times. Roger Federer has done it five times. Pete Sampras's one remaining massive record is that he's done it six times to end the year number one. It is, it's the ultimate, really. And Murray's done it now. You can never take that away from him. And we didn't think it would happen this year. We repeatedly, when we asked one another to make predictions, we said it'll happen, but not this year. I mean, up until, you know, let's fess up, up until... <laughs> days before it happened we uh we didn't think it would happen this year and and to think of him now ending the year i mean as you can tell i'm once again struggling for superlatives because it's just it's extraordinary it's extraordinary what's happened tonight and over the course of this year and as many people are pointing out sports personality of the year is is probably on lockdown again in an olympic year yeah i mean you know i almost feel that you 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 want somebody else to get it because there have been so many achievements from British sports people over the last few months um, and particularly at the Olympics so many deserving people yeah give Andy Murray a separate award the <laughs> but, Andy Murray award look, for excellence you know, my, my conclusion <laughs> then... is how can you not give it to Andy Murray after a year like this how can you not he won Olympic gold same as they all did he won Wimbledon he's the world number one the, the, there's no the, compelling argument Really? And, uh, well, that's a side note. And uh, I, I just, I mean, it's been a pleasure to be able to, to watch it, to cover it, and, uh, and to talk about it here on the Tennis Podcast. It really has. It really has. And, and I was just about to wrap up there because I was thinking, what a lovely, eloquent note to wrap things up for. But you're clutching your phone there, David. You're clutching your phone. And I know what that means. I just know... I've got dread in my heart. He's got the pole vaults, guys. Over to you, David. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now. And we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas. You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Pole vault. Here we go, folks. So there's a couple of them. Uh, and Catherine, where are you? Where's she going? Anyway, um, we don't need her for this bit. That's absolutely fine. Um, I, I wanted to know, I mean, you, you talked, Catherine, about the Raonic match and how, how uncomfortable a watch you found is. And I, and I heard a couple of people say exactly the same thing, people that I work with on Five Live, producers who don't necessarily cover tennis all the time, and were saying, how do you two just sit, you know, Russell Fuller and myself commentating, how do you sit through this and not get so worked up about it that you can't really describe what's going on. But I think we're talking about different things there. I wasn't I wasn't referring to the tension of it and the the saving match points. I mean I completely see that. I was referring specifically to the it being difficult to to watch Andy Murray behaving that way. But anyway I I see see your point. I mean there are some tennis matches and sporting occasions I've heard members of my family almost not enjoying them because they're so tight, so tense, there's somebody they want to win so badly and and I wanted to know from our listeners do you actually enjoy watching your player, even when they win, winning in that torturous way and we had 530 votes 60% said that they still enjoy it, 40% said that they don't, that's quite a large number isn't it Yep. Are they all West Brom fans? We we don't win those. <laughs> we don't win very often. So, uh, anyway, Catherine Whittaker, that's about as enthusiastic a response from Catherine as I've heard in pole vault. So we're getting somewhere, folks. Uh, the, the other one is very straightforward, Catherine. Would you like... Now, in the Times newspaper this week, it was reported that the O2 Arena that is rapidly being taken down around our very ears uh, as we uh, sit here over the court, as um, the, the seats are being taken off, we're actually being looked at as if we're sitting in the seats that are about to be ripped up. People were saying in in the Times that the ATP finals may well stay here for a long time, maybe even permanently, indefinitely. And um, and I asked, would you like the ATP finals to stay in London for the next 10 years or more or go somewhere else? What do you think they said, Catherine? 562 votes. I think that people said they'd like it to stay. Is well, what what I would think. you like? I wouldn't like it to stay here permanently and not because I don't think they do a fantastic job. I think it's quite possible that if it were to move wherever it moved to, it wouldn't do as good job as they do here. I just think that 
it's the defining feature of this event that it does move around. Some places will be better than others, and the places that aren't so good, it won't stay for so long. But it is a defining feature of this event. It makes it that bit different. And yes, a few more years in London, let's enjoy it while it's here because it is great, but let it naturally move on when the time comes. 74%, Catherine, agree with you and want it to stay. So there you go. 26% would like it to leave, so the majority quite happy for it. Hey, did you hear how enthusiastic Catherine sounded about that? I I think she's getting one over here. It's a bit enthusiastic, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, it's great. Anyway, that's about the size of it, Catherine. Um, Just the two. Yeah, just the two. This time, um, you know, I don't want to overdo it. Um, So... Yeah, that's that's Polvo. Can I just say as well, thank you to everybody who sent in their tennis podcast pets to oh, cheer up Catherine. Now when I am feeling smiling. a bit down in the dumps. Do you know what? You're... She was unwell, weren't you, Catherine? You were I in were, your sick I bed. In, I was in a I was in a bit of a bad way this week, not in any uh, critical way, but in a very feeling sorry for myself. I had actual flu. I've now realised why people that have had flu get annoyed by people calling a cold the flu because it is not the same. <laughs> No one sweats as much as I did this week with a cold, let me tell you. Anyway, I had actual flu and it was all very miserable. And then all these pictures of dogs come flooding into my Twitter notifications and I couldn't wipe the smile off my face. Honestly, it cheered me right up. The power of dogs is extraordinary. And on that note... <laughs> I was just, I mean, I was just going to send her lots of polls to, to sort of read the results from, but apparently that wasn't going to get it done. No. So. Only dogs. Thank you to everybody that sent in dogs and turkeys and uh, what did we have? Gerbils and... Oh, the ferret. The ferret. ferret, Lovely. I've forgotten the name of the ferret. Charlie. Charlie the ferret um, and Babs the turkey and so many wonderful dogs. Dogs and tennis is just the perfect combination. See, our listeners are all right. I didn't believe what you said about them earlier at all. See, they're they're nice. And on that note, on that note, I'm going to wrap things up. We are bringing you a few more tennis podcasts this season, so don't start your morning process just yet. We will be bringing you one on the eve of the Davis Cup final between Argentina and Croatia. No prizes for guessing who David Law is supporting in that one. It is going to be held in Zagreb, his former home, I should say. So there's a legitimate bias there, and uh, we'll be bringing you one after the Davis Cup final as well so uh, don't worry just yet the tennis season might be winding down but the tennis podcast is not there are a couple more to come and we will be back with you later this week thanks for listening goodbye Roundabout Season 2 presented by Nissan is live now and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way we're talking rest stops if we're stopping to get gas you will be timed misguided plans I grew up in the city so I have like you know a healthy fear of real extreme darkness <laughs> a lot of laughs y'all weird but you yeah you you were different and so much more Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.